Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Mark Pages, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Brad, thanks for having me here. Um, it's awesome to uh, be in this beautiful space. It is a beautiful part of the world that we're in. And actually, it is, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the second time we've met. There's a bit of story behind the first time because I was on the vegan fitness panel at the Brisbane Vegan Expo, flexing my muscles as I do most hours in front of the mirror generally. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And I remember someone asked me from the audience, what about omega-3s? And I'm like, oh, look, I take some green powder every morning in my green smoothie. And then I went to your stall and your Obviously, the head honcho of Vitality, which we'll explain in a sec. And I saw you were selling green powder. And I said to you, how's business going? And you're like, actually, it's really peaked (laughs) after the vegan fitness panel. And I'm going to take all the credit and collect all the commission right now. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, I have to say that was the the busiest hour of the event. Yeah. The busiest hour of the event. Uh, all of a sudden, everyone came running to us saying, "Vegan Omega Three, yeah, uh, Whole Foods." So, uh, thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. I'll be sure to send a check in the mail. Now, cash is fine. <laughs> no, but let's talk about what actually do you do for a job. I'm the founder of Vitality Nutrition, essentially been involved in this uh, business for about 15 years now, originally in Europe. Mm. And I guess how I got involved in in phytoplankton, it's a, another terminology for marine microalgae. Mm-hmm. I really got involved back in 2007. Um, my interest was following a, that stage of vegetarian diet as an experiment. And I was researching where I could get nutrients from to be on a plant-based diet, going through that journey. And then I got to omega-3s. And then uh, the question was, where do I get EPA and DHA? These are long-chain omega-3s that we typically get in fish. Where do I get those in a whole plant diet? And there I came to know those tiny but mighty little plants in the ocean called phytoplankton. Mm. So that's where omega-3s come from. I guess one of the interesting things is most people think, Omega-3s come from fish, mm. but they actually come from the plants that the fish eat. Let's define some terms first up. So what is phytoplankton? You said tiny little marine algae, is that correct? Yeah, so phytoplankton, essentially some of the first biological plant organisms on the planet. So they come from cyanobacteria, mm. which are recognized as probably the first 
biology to develop on Earth. So they're very primordial. We call it like ancient primordial food. And it's phytoplankton is essentially, I would say, the lungs and the food mm. of the sea chain. Mm. So it's the base nutrient where fish and the, the sea gets its nutrients, mm. not only fish, but coral and the whole sea chain. You mentioned omega-3s. Let's define another, another term. What are omega-3s and why are they important? Yeah, so omega-3s are long-chain fatty acids and omega-3s aren't something our body makes. So we need to to take to get omega-3s in our diet. Mm-hmm. And the long-chain omega-3s that are proven for heart health, being EPA and, and brain health, DHA, our body converts them at a very low ratio from lower forms or lower chains of omega-3. So omega-3s are polyunsaturated essential fatty acids. Forgive me for the foodie or tech terminology, but they're an essential fatty acid that our body needs as a nutrient. If you have omega-3 deficiency, what sort of symptoms could you Yeah, so, so issues around omega-3, we have cognitive issues. Omega-3 plays are important role in a variety of things, but particularly around brain health, um, neuron elasticity, particularly with reference to DHA, eye health. Mm-hmm. Also, EPA, is there's a lot of clinical research around heart health with EPA. Um, it's type of the lipid that really supports all the muscles around the heart. And long-chain omega-3s are also proven, clinically proven for um, lower derm for skincare. So you see them also in a lot of skincare products. So yeah, they have a multitude of benefits. An interesting tidbit is our brain is encased in a bath of fatty acids and DHA is about, should be between 45 to 50%. So it's really essential we have it in our diet. And one of my big issues that led me into this was my concern around the lack of DHA and EPA in Western diets, particularly people that go on a plant-based journey. Mm, And mm. this was my whole reason to to do this, Mm. um, you know, to get involved in this and provide solutions to those on a plant-based diet Mm -hmm. or to those who may want to go in that direction and reduce their fish intake and increase their, you know, an alternative sustainable source. Is fish a good source of omega-3s? The structure of omega-3 in fish is no different to algae. It's the same structure. So when I lived in Europe, we do a lot of conferences. Um, I did a lot of work around omega-3s and I'd get up in uh, events in Brussels and I'd say um, to the audience, now who's tried algal oil? You might have a few people put their hand up and then you say, well, who's had fish oil? And get lots of respondents. Then I'd say, well, guess what? You're all consuming algae oil. And they were like, people would look at me strangely. What's this guy going on about? Fish oil is algae oil on a journey. When fish wouldn't exist without phytoplankton and algae, it's an essential nutrient that provides them with proteins, vitamins, nutrients, and of course, those omega-3s. Is there any problems with actually having fish as a source of your omega-3s? One of my concerns is the commercialization Mm. of fishing, particularly where we're going as a human society with Mm. regards to aquaculture. Mm. A role I took on in 2014, I was actually employed by the Dutch government under an innovation project to look at a project called Sustainable Salmon Feed. Approximately 65% of the total wild fish catch per annum annually, globally, 65% of that wild catch goes back into feeding salmon. So we're essentially killing two thirds, roughly, of the wild catch, killing fish to feed fish. And, and for me, I just thought there has to be a better yeah. way. These developing markets, you know, India, China, they all want to eat more omega-3s as the science shows we should. But if we 
all tried to have an omega-3 rich diet based on the population of the planet, the seas would essentially be empty. There's a quota on fishing, but then the other issue is the sustainability of aquaculture. And I came across some serious concerns and issues around sustainability in aquaculture. One of our former podcast guests was a, a legend called Latara, Latara Para, and he told the, told the story of his experience working on a Chilean aquaculture facility. And it was absolutely horrendous. Like, uh, I won't go into detail, but a lot of just diabolical, you'd almost call it slavery, but also just, and also the, co- the conflict and all the ecological damage. He basically saw firsthand, but I'm just keen to get your perspective. What are the catastrophic things that you're sort of feeling towards this agriculture industry? There's a number of angles from the poor nutrients they're feeding the fish, which has been exposed to the detrimental effect we have on the oceans, Mm. what happens based on the way they fish. But let's just touch on a few Mm. of those points. So, you know, my first concern is we have a quota on the wild fish catch. And if you look at omega-3s and let's say farm salmon over the last Mm. 30 years, Mm. when they first started farming salmon, we'd have approximately 20 to 30% omega-3s in the fatty acids in salmon. We're now talking less than 5%. So what's happening is they're feeding salmon soya proteins and proteins the fish can't digest. And that results in really low omega-3s in farm fish from a nutritional perspective to the point in the UK where they're actually even talking about not making an omega-3 claim on the packaging on salmon in the supermarket because it's so low in omega-3. Overdosing of soya proteins, fish can't digest soya proteins. It's Mm. not part of their normal marine diet. Soya proteins are a terrestrial protein. What would happen is the fish would actually, their organs would combust and rupture from the inside. So there was this whole issue in the aquaculture industry. What are we going to do about these fish, their internal organs rupturing because they can't digest and protein the process the soya protein. So there's an issue around basically fish being able to digest and consume those alternative nutrients that aren't normally in their diet. Now, there's nothing wrong with soy. Soy is a great product. If it's farmed well and good quality, it's it's more that that fish, it's not part of its historical diet, so its physiology can't absorb it. So that was one issue. The other issue was like basically under these sea cages, when they put the fish out in cages, they create these dead zones. So what happens is the fish are staying in a central location in a cage, they're pooing and everything comes out and basically all falls to the bottom and it creates this literally dead zone. It's like hell on earth. Mm -hmm. You look down there and it's nothing lives under there. And so this is like really unsustainable for the ocean, creating these dead zones from literally all the nitrates and phosphates Mm -hmm. that they're pooing out. Then we're dealing with synthetic ingredients. And this was found out a couple of years ago in a Four Corners documentary, the synthetic astaxanthin, which is a pigment that makes the salmon look red, you know, and in in the industry, they'll say, how red do you want your salmon to be? We'll just add more synthetic pigment to it. And this was, this was found out, I think, don't quote me on the year, but probably about four or five years ago, they found out they were using down in Tasmania synthetic coloring to color the salmon rather than 
the natural astaxanthin, which is the the red natural pigment that makes the flamingos beautiful and pink and red. Oh my god! So you know, there's so there's these issues on all from a nutritional quality, from a sustainability issue, and at the end of the day, humans we have to eat this. So the question is, is this a sustainable? Is it good for the planet and is it good for our diet? Doesn't sound like it. Full disclosure, I'm plant-based. I've been plant-based for nine years. How long have you been plant-based? I've been a vegetarian since 2008. Wow, um, that's impressive. I lived in the Netherlands. Uh, my weakness is uh, every now and then cheese. Dutch, The Dutch do good cheese. But they have some quality vegan cheeses now. And uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, there, there are alternatives yeah, that yeah. could sway me. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment against people who do eat cheese or eat meat or eat salmon or whatever, but I think it's going into some of those decisions around food choices with your eyes wide open. When you're talking about salmon rupturing, their stomachs rupturing, I mean, there's so many things I could unpack about what you've just said. Let's start with the salmon rupturing of stomachs. What does that even mean? It was not very pretty to see. I was at an aquaculture conference in 2014 in Spain, and it was one of the big issues. What you would see on the, at this aquaculture conference in Spain I attended is like photos of basically cut the fish in half and see their organs oh rupturing. And I thought, this is not tickling me. <laughs> well, and it shouldn't be a surprise feeding a terrestrial yeah. food source, i.e. soy, to a a marine species or a waterway environment—it just doesn't make any sense. And the and the dead zones—I have heard that before. And it's worthwhile noting that that these aquaculture facilities, if they are offshore, like the salmon farms, which you see in Tasmania, the reason they're there is because they're absolutely pristine environments, and they're generally destroyed, completely destroyed. Like I, I don't use that term lightly. Everything within the vicinity of these agriculture facilities is dead. Nothing grows. Worms, crustaceans, macroinvertebrates, you name it, nothing lives uh, because of that excessive poo and wee. And I remember Lataro explaining how they bathe them in or shower them in an antibiotic liquid, which most of it falls to the bottom as well. The kick-on effect from the soya proteins, not giving them the same nutrients that they were used to from fish meal and fish oil mm. feed, would result in them having a very low immunity. Then what they would happen, they would get sea lice all over them. So then what they would do is to reduce the sea lice on the cage fish, they would pour antibiotics into the cages. But of course, you're pouring antibiotics into water and diluting it. Well, some of it's going to touch the fish's yeah. skin, but what happens to the of rest of it in the in the ocean? We're talking about pharmaceutical grade antibiotics yeah. poured into the ocean. Then the question comes, I, I ask myself this question, do I really want to eat this? Yeah, yeah. And do I want to be a part of this? They're disgusting environments. And I remember, like obviously, and you've got a cage full of hugely high density uh, salmons, but like so, but, you know, sick, they're cramped together. They're probably not feeling too crash hot about themselves, fighting, whatever, recognizing that these species travel thousands of kilometers in the, in the wild. So to put them in the cage environment with a zillion of their mates, it just doesn't bode well. But also you've got a whole bunch of, you know, like seals, other wildlife that see a big cage full of fish and they go, you beauty, I'd love to get in there and have some have something to eat. And they generally get caught or often get caught in the the structures themselves. I remember uh, Lataro saying how he had to cut out a few um, seals and stuff like that out of the nets. Even if you don't like fish, even if you other, like other wildlife, it's it's not a good news story in any way, shape or form. If people had to experience what yeah. I experienced and were better educated and there was more transparency to these processes, not a lot of people would eat fish. Mm. But I think we could say that for a lot of processes sure. in the food industry that everyone wants to market, the side that sells, they don't, you know, so... <laughs> 
I think there needs to be more transparency around aquaculture. And it's amazing that they've gotten away with it for so long, recognising that I think in terms of all fish products consumed, it's about half of all fish supplied is from aquaculture facilities. More than that more now. More than that now, Much more, because the thing is we have this quota from FIFO, the global organisation yep. that should regulate mm-hmm. fish. We have an expanding population. So this aquaculture curve is going up rapidly. You know, right. so we've just at some, and these statistics are from a couple of years yep, ago, yep, yep. but they, they still should be quite accurate. So we've got close to 65 to 70% wild fish catch to refeed salmon. Then there's about 5% other fish. There's about 20% for supplements and nutraceuticals, mm-hmm. and then 5% for other applications. So with this population growth globally, you mm. see the aquaculture curve go up. So I think aquaculture fish is 90 plus percent today of fish consumed. Really? It's almost impossible to buy wild caught fish in a supermarket, you would have to pay like 80 to $100 a kilo to have wild caught right. fish. And, you know, the thing is, there's also tricky marketing like wild caught or, you know, wild fish, they put it out in a bigger cage for the last that right? 20 days and then they call it wild because there's more space oh in the Lord. cage. There's also yeah. manipulative marketing yeah. ploys to, yeah. but, you know, genuine wild fish, you know, what do I call a genuine wild fish? A fish that lived in the wild all its life. You will not see that in the supermarket. There's no money for corporations. Really? You'd be talking 80 to to $100 a kilo. Wow. If it's genuine wild fish that lived its whole life wow. in the ocean. Yeah, I think it's something like a third of the world's protein comes from our oceans and the inefficiency associated with agriculture is out of this world. I remember just some stats around 45 kilos of wild caught fish to generate one kilo of tuna, I think it was. Um, so like you, you produce, I think it's something like, I'll get the numbers wrong, but say um, nine kilos of um, wild caught fish to get a kilo of dry fish meal, then five kilos of dry fish meal to produce a kilo of tuna. So the the efficiency is just, it doesn't make sense. You, you scale that up with 8 billion people trying to consume, you know, a little bit of fish every day or so some days, and it's just, it's completely unsustainable from a resource perspective, from an energy perspective, from a pollution perspective, not to mention the cruelty associated with the animals or, or fish in these environments. I'm not sure if you can talk to that because I've, he- I've heard some diabolical stories around in fish in these aquaculture environments basically committing suicide. I mean, is that, is that a thing? What we can say and what I've seen firsthand dealing and working in the industry, trying to provide a fish-free salmon feed or a part plant-based, you know, a part sustainable. What's sustainable? Sustainable things are, in my opinion, nutrients that are produced without impacting our nature and the environment. What we see is fish are malnourished, undernutrified. This is why they have mm. these really bad rashes. And a lot of, you know, the, the what we, they call in the industry, the fish mortality rate is increased. So if you look at the fish mortality rate in cages, if you look at the last 30 years and we look at soya protein being introduced mm. and yeast and soya protein, you know, non-natural in, mm. ingredients that they would typically have in the ocean, increase and then you see the mortality rate because it's a business you know corporations are making this so they count mortality mm. you know mortality is dramatically increased over the last 30 years so so when you say mortality you mean rate of fish dying before they become a product as such is that absolutely yeah so fish mortality and they measure that at every level in the process you know right. from 
larvae, you know, right. out to tanks. So mm. they're measuring mortality, like percentage of fish or number of fish that die in the process of wow. aquaculture. And that has rapidly, and I mean rapidly increased. Wow. You know, in conjunction with basically diets that the fish really can't digest. Oh my goodness. That's scary to think about, isn't it, really? This had a quite an impact of, on myself personally, mm. you know, and this really led me to really continue on the journey of sustainable, ethical solutions to our omega-3s because mm. I thought, well, there has to be a better way. Well, why do we consume fish? You know, this was my mm, personal mm, question. Mm, mm. Um, why do we need to consume fish? Why do we need to be a part of this process? Once you understand, you know, you can't go back. Mm at the bottom, or in this case, in the sea, mm. there are plants mm. that make these nutrients. Mm. All proteins, all vitamins, all omega-3s originate from plants. Mm. Fish don't make them. You know, fish have enzymatic actions that hydrolyze the nutrients or the omega-3s, but they don't make any nutrients. So my big passion is around, let's get ethical and sustainable forms of this essential fatty acids, these omega-3s, EPA and DHA that we need, mm. So what Fitality does is we basically isolate these strains and we scale them up in a controlled process. What we try and do is we recreate the ocean in a what I would call a aquaponics meets hydroponics type of process. And we're not harvesting from the sea. The product that we make and, and we offer as a an omega-3 solution, we're not competing with fish. Mm. You know, so my my big goal around sustainability is ocean rejuvenation. Mm. Let, let's reduce the stress on the ocean. Let the ocean find its lungs. When mm. we're talking about sustainability, we're, we're talking about carbon, you know, so some interesting things around phytoplankton mm. is they, depending on the strain, so for every one part carbon they draw down, they create approximately three times the amount of oxygen. So, you know, so when we're messing with the ocean, we're messing with the lungs of the ocean, mm -hmm. you know, not only the food chain, you know, the driver of between 70 to 80% of the oxygen created in the world is from phytoplankton. Let's put, put a pin in that because that's something that we, I've, I've stolen that quote many times. Like when we do often the public presentations, I'll, I'll say something like, oh, it's been a big day for everyone. How about we all take a big, deep breath? And everyone goes, <gasps> and then let it all out. And I said, do you know that 50 to 86% of the oxygen you just breathe comes from our oceans and it's from phytoplankton, bloody, 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 blah. And it's incredible when you think about it. Like the everyone thinks, oh, it's our oxygen comes from our trees. It's like, yeah, the trees contribute a fair bit. But yeah, somewhere between 50 to 86% of our oxygen is obviously vital to our lives, comes from our oceans. But meanwhile, we treat the ocean like a, a basically a toilet. We, we chuck in everything that we don't want, rubbish, sewage, whatever, and we take everything that we, we want, basically, you know, and basically rape and pillage our oceans in the, I guess, mindset that it's good for us. And to your point, it probably isn't. Like we're often consuming far more, I guess, fish than we probably need. The fish that we are removing from the ocean, whether from an agricultural facility or from wild caught fish, which sounds like it's even lower proportions than I thought previously. Yeah, it sounds like we don't need to do that at all. Like, yeah, you know, I'm nine years plant-based. If it's good for our neural function, if I'm omega-free deficient, I would know by now, I would have thought. Touch wood, I'm pretty good. 
I think. I don't know. Thankfully, Brad, you know about the Vitality products yeah, and yeah, you, you're, yeah, you're well, using them and you're, well, you've, you've educated yourself. For disclosure, yourself. I, have, I have bought your product. I have been taking it for the last, well, since I met you, was it, uh, was it as a year, year about yeah, a year ago? Just yeah, just over a year ago. And my hair is as luscious as it ever was. You don't have to convince me. There's obviously a whole bunch of people that will be uh, listening and going, yeah, but fish is brain food. Fish is good for you. Fish is, you know, like every Friday. We've eaten it for centuries. It's good for us, surely. Why is it all of a sudden potentially not? Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about fish, we're type of normally talking about the omega-3s, you know. So Adelaide University, who is probably the leading authority in terms of omega-3 research, they came out and said in a recent study in the last years that there is no difference between algal oil and fish oil in terms of its structure, because that's a question we would be asked a lot as a manufacturer of algae, mm-hmm. you know, sustainable algae products. You know, is your omega-3 really the same as the omega-3 in a fish oil because it goes through the fish? And is it the same structure after that journey? And and, and the answer is yes. So when people are thinking about, you know, their brain food and, you know, it's good mm. for heart health, good for brain food, they're really relating that to the fish, but they should actually be relating that to the omega-3s. In the fish, and as there becomes more awareness, you know, I mean, that's one of the goals that we have as a company. You know, not to sell products per se. I mean, that's part mm. of the process. But mm. really, the the core foundation why I'm doing this is to educate and to to take people on that journey where they can realise that there's another alternative. Some people may not want to stop eating fish, but hey, even if we they say, well, we'll eat fish once a week, mm. and we'll take a plant based mm. supplement that gives us that. Omega-3s we need, you know, they're already contributing to less impact mm. and pressure on the oceans and aquaculture. And look, obviously the environmental reasons and ethical reasons are pretty straightforward. Yeah, less impact, it's far more efficient, it's less cruel, no one's harmed in the process. But from my perspective, the key thing is it's cleaner. If you ever want to think of two words to reduce your consumption of animal products, it's bioaccumulation and biomagnification. Bioaccumulation is basically the ability of organisms to absorb pollution or pollutants, and biomagnification is the ability of, of that, that contaminant to basically increase in concentration as it gets consumed from one organism to the next. So little fish gets eaten by bigger fish, bigger fish gets eaten by even bigger fish. And when you have this sort of, I guess, particularly the wild-caught fish being used to produce... Uh, fish meal and then fish meal being used to feed fish species, you're going to have that biomagnification through that process. And we do know that there are some pretty nasty contaminants in our ocean environment. You know, at Ocean Protect, we're trying our best to stop the pollution, but we're, it's like pushing poo uphill. Like there's, there's a lot of pollution coming and far more than we could ever stop. And particularly contaminants that I don't think a lot of people would be that familiar with, like what we call emerging contaminants, PFAS, which is polyfluoral alcohol substance. And that is one contaminant that keeps me up at night, if I'm honest what we call a forever chemical, doesn't break down, absorbs to your fatty tissue, which is exactly the sort of stuff that people seemingly want to eat in a fish. Oh yeah, well I want high fat stuff coming out of my fish, fish oils for example. And that's exactly the thing that I don't want to eat because of that biomagnification issue around PFAS. Now, if you're a a meat eater or a fish eater, you are the apex predator. You are the snake of society. Not being critical, but you're an apex predator if you are consuming animal products. You're basically suffering the worst from any biomagnification or bioaccumulation issues. And 
from my perspective, that is probably the number one reason to at least try to minimize your consumption of fish products. Then you've got mercury, lead, PCBs, dioxins. I mean, there's some crazy rules around consumption of fish. I'll give you one that doesn't make any sense, but I'll tell you it anyway. It's from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and their advice is in Sydney Harbour, the most iconic waterway in Australia. They say, if you catch a fish west of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, they recommend don't eat it. If you catch uh, fish east, it's okay, but you can only eat one brim per month or two shrimp. Why? Because of dioxins, and dioxins are a carcinogen. The thing about fish is they can obviously swim underwater under a bridge. So that advice doesn't make any sense because fish from the west side of the bridge can obviously swim to the east side of the bridge. So, But again, I find there's this, all this piecemeal rubbery advice around consumption of fish products. But from my perspective, to protect my own personal health, I want to take a precautionary approach. The science is out around mercury contamination and PCBs and, and dioxins and PFAS, whatever. It doesn't look promising. In the absence of anything definitive saying it's okay, I'm going to err on the side of conservatism because the health implications of suffering from these contaminants, it's terrible. And it's something that might be a long bow, but we are seeing increased rates of various ailments in society. And maybe it's something to do with our consumption of contaminated products. And again, that risk increases when you eat higher up the food chain. When it comes down to it, we have a choice. You know, Do we want to be part of the solution or contribute to the solution? Or do we want to look away and continue the habits? You know, I'm talking when I say habits as a general populace mm. that in my experience aren't leading us in a good direction when we look at the quality of fish, mm. the nutrients they're eating. So I think we can all be part of the solution. And big thing in creating awareness around phytoplankton is there is a solution. You yeah. know, there were so many people five, 10, 20 years ago that would say, you know what, I can't get those long chain omega-3s at EPA and DHA that's normally in fish oil. I can't find another solution for it. It doesn't exist. And therefore I have no choice. I'm going to go be a you mm. know, pescatarian and eat fish. Mm. Well, guess what? That's not the case mm. anymore. You know, we have sustainable solutions. They're plant-based. They're free of toxins. They're grown in closed environments that are clean, ethical, controlled, you know, made in food certified environments that we can feel good about taking. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, just clarify how do you guys make or produce this phytoplankton? Yeah, so basically, we isolate these microscopic, you know, we're talking three to four micron Mm -hmm. is the size of the types of phytoplankton that we grow that are rich in omega-3s. We isolate them from the ocean and then we test them in a lab to make sure they're the strain that's safe and good for for human nutrition. And then we scale up that culture. So we literally scale it up from a Petri dish, you know, into our 50 liter, 100 liter and out and, you know, out into these large bioreactors and then into these ponds in a closed greenhouse. So it's type of like what I call advanced green biotech or green farming, but it's all natural strains, natural nutrients and just really recreating the nutrients that you would have in the sea. We grow them as a single strain. So what we're really focused on is high purity, high consistency. Mm. The last thing we want to do is to have contaminated product going out there. We're trying to solve the solutions to what's out there in the market. That's how we we go about doing it. But it's fully certified, audited, you know, food manufacturing. Right. right. And and is it is it energy intensive? Because the the probably the biggest criticism that I would thought you'd face is that, oh, I can literally just take a big net and catch a bunch of fish or put my rod in the water or if I'm big commercial enterprise, what, what really happens is they take big, massive uh, death machines out of the ocean, harvest, yeah. basically rape and pillage the ocean yeah. and take a whole bunch of fish, including a whole bunch of seals, dolphins, whales, et cetera, bring it back and just cut it all up and feed whatever other fish. As catastrophic as that is, is that potentially less energy in- intensive than what you're doing? So when we, you, so there is energy involved, but let's talk about carbon, you know, mm. or, or oxygen positive. So algae facilities, because we're drawing down so much carbon in them, they're actually creating op- their oxygen manufacturing facilities. You know, when we're creating a phytoplankton facility, it's still we're putting filtrating carbon into the water, food grade mm. carbon, but it's still drawing down carbon. Right. Out of the atmosphere. So, um, in, ironically, like airlines like Qatar Airlines have actually put algae farms and ponds in Qatar, like big scale ponds in the airport to actually grow phytoplankton to absorb carbon to get carbon really? credits. Really? Um, so we're actually talking about probably from a oxygen creation perspective, the most positive sustainable facility you can get because we're using solar to run energy, you know, then we're drawing Mm. down carbon Mm. and creating oxygen at a ratio of approximately three to one. So I can't find anything more environmentally friendly than growing phytoplankton. Uh, I don't want to know how much money you make out of selling phytoplankton, but there's two business opportunities here. There's a lot of money in carbon credits and often they're as dodgy as as a proverbial, but I think you could be on a winner. The other business opportunity that I think you're missing is you could be selling pure oxygen. These phytoplankton must be producing a lot of oxygen. If you can can that or bottle it, <laughs> you know, it might be really handy in a place like, I don't know, uh, areas like in Canada, for example, where they can't breathe the air, literally. How do the phytoplankton create oxygen? So yeah, yeah, yeah. these microscopic plants, they cell divide. The types that we grow are single-celled plants. So every time they cell divide, 
they let out oxygens. They're closed cellulose cell wall and they're letting out oxygen as they keep cell dividing. And so we're talking about a plant that basically from cell division to a mature st- size is anywhere between 24 to 72 hours. So we're talking about a plant that grows anywhere between 200 to 500 times faster than any terrestrial plant. And this is why they're the lungs of the earth. You know, you're, I call it hyper carbon to oxygen conversion machines. You know, these tiny but mighty microscopic plants. So how, is there an opportunity to, to scale this up significantly? Like the, the analogy that I'm thinking of is I mentioned carbon credits and a lot of, for example, landowners or farmers are making a lot of money out of basically giving their land to growing of trees. Now, tree growth takes a long time, whereas you're saying the growth of phytoplankton happens obviously far quicker, uh, absorbing a hell of a lot more carbon in the process. Is there an opportunity to, for basically for you guys to make a gazillion dollars in, or someone to be make a gazillion dollars out of basically having these growing on a mass scale to, for carbon credits? And obviously in the process producing a phytoplankton. Yeah, absolutely. So part of the redefinition of carbon credits, I think it came out in the last few years. Mm. They, they, the whole industry is better understanding all the biology that you know converts carbon to oxygen. Mm. So phytoplankton, I think increasingly is going to be seen as part of a business model. Okay, we're going to create ponds and we're, you know, we're going to grow phytoplankton and this is the biomass output. I think people are genuinely going to see, you know, it's going to be a part of the economic model that allows for the more rapid onset, you know, the feasibility and more rapid onset of phytoplankton. I mean, mo- the way I see the future, there's, there's multiple, mm-hmm. you know, the future is not set, but I see a future where as people cotton on to the health benefits and mm. the sustainability benefits, it'll really, really pick up a lot of steam in the wow, next five to so ten years. And obviously your focus is on food grade phytoplankton. So obviously it has to be in a fairly controlled environment. I'm also thinking back to our oceans, which ideally will be far better protected by, you know, eating less fish and all that sort of stuff. But is there anything we can do to sort of, I guess, pr- or protect or improve the health of phytoplankton in our ocean environments? That's a big question, mm. but I, I think leaving the ocean, Earth has been here for billions of years. Mm. It's naturally evolved. And, and my concern is the impact that we put on the Earth and the ocean in particular. It's literally a dumping ground for humans. It's a one-way relationship. We dump in there mm. when we want. Mm. But, you know, we're not giving back, you know, it's a one-way relationship. So the question I have is the chemical runoff, this increasing aquaculture and these medicines and, and they're putting in that go into the sea. This is all having, in my opinion, the global sum of everything, you know, modern industrialization is having a real impact on the sea and, you know, and the ecology of phytoplankton. And it's super dangerous because if we lose phytoplankton, if that ecosystem crashes, I mean, it sounds like a big comment, but literally the world is over. When we started looking at the research like 20 years ago, they would say like 50% of the oxygens created by phytoplankton. And then it was 70%. Mm-hmm. And I think MIT recently come out and said 80%. Mm-hmm. Well, the latest figure from the EOS is now they're saying it's 90%. Right. So we're learning more and more yeah. that actually phytoplankton is a critical part of the human story. So, you know, so I think going back to your comment, Brad, I just think we need to put less stress on the ocean mm-hmm. and let it rejuvenate itself. 
it knows it has more history in dealing with itself for millions, you know, billions of years before we started abusing it through the industrial revolution of the last couple of hundred. Mm. And just to confirm, the phytoplankton that, yeah, like you said, produces between 50, potentially 90%, potentially more of our oxygen, that, that phytoplankton in our oceans, basically, is it only within the very top sort of layer of the ocean environment, so based on the surface? So, so obviously, it needs to receive sunlight to grow and, and you know, thrive. Uh, it's It's basically... Just only that first centimetre, I'm guessing. The majority of it, yes. Wow. So there's, and there's some great studies on this. Yeah. So the majority of the phytoplankton mm. is on the top layer, yeah. um, say a metre. Metre, But yeah. when we get down to like one foot or 30 centimetres, that's the highest majority. And there are different phytoplankton that are slightly lower, sure. but it's much in much lower density because yeah. we need – phytoplankton is this, the symbiosis mm. of the synergy of, of biology – and light, mm. you know, so biology and light in water. So we get that high photosynthesis at the top layer where the ocean mm. meets the light. So th- that's why it's so close to the surface. And, yeah. and phytoplankton works in symbiosis in some ways with with seaweed. So phytoplankton is catching, doing all that photosynthesis and absorbing that photosynthesis on the top layer, mm-hmm. like say a meter, mm-hmm. and then starting to draw it down. And then seaweed under that mm-hmm. is drawing it down mm-hmm. further. Mm-hmm. So these, you know, I call it the baby brother, mm-hmm. the microscopic brother, and then the the seaweed being, you know, the multicellular plant mm-hmm. that can draw it down further. So mm-hmm. they both have a role to play. Mm-hmm. But that top layer that you're referring to, like the reason I sort of brought that up was I'm just thinking, because that's where a lot of our pollution is basically. So pollution that's entering our ocean environment. And I'm, I'm talking the likes of pesticides, herbicides, all stuff that basically has been designed to kill plants. In addition to all the other chemicals like PFAS and heavy metals, et cetera, the highest concentrations are going to be at the surface of, of our ocean environment. And that's obviously where the phytoplankton is. And if those pollutants or contaminants are, are causing a reduced growth or, or ability for those phytoplankton to proliferate and thrive, that's clearly going to have a cascading effect on health of the planet. Like you talked about, oh yeah, we need to reduce the stress of on our oceans to help protect phytoplankton and basically let nature do its thing. But fundamentally, I'm just thinking the water pollution coming into our ocean environment, that's going to be a major stressor. As, as catastrophic as overfishing and deep sea mining and all these things that are to our ocean environment, that water pollution perspective probably, I think, would have the biggest impact on phytoplankton plankton and subsequently to your point life on earth absolutely so i can tell you um from our experience i, I was involved in probably the largest phytoplankton or microalgae phytoplankton project in the world in terms of wastewater cleaning it was a project called mm. orgas funded by the eu it was like three projects that they funded to do wastewater treatment what we saw is there was a a village called Cardiz in the beautiful south of Spain. And we basically took the wastewater, they filtrated it, and then they took it out into this area that were these old salt basins. And we tried to clean the water. We used phytoplankton as a way of cleaning, a natural Mm -hmm. process for purifying and cleaning water. And it did a reasonably good job. We used chlorella in that Mm -hmm. sense, Mm -hmm. which is a really good sponge or absorber of different toxins to clean water. But what we did see in that experiment is different strains of microalgae or phytoplankton would just get killed. Would get killed when when you put high loads of various 
toxins, heavy metals, right. pollutants on them. And we got to see this in this experiment of mm. wastewater using microalgae as a research project to treat and clean wastewater. So if we think about this on a larger scale, if the mm. natural phytoplankton that is the, the lungs of the planet is put under pressure from chemicals like was done in a controlled way mm. in this project, the phytoplankton died. Mm, mm. So that really leads me to think more like that's potentially a bigger issue that isn't being addressed. My goodness, uh, this has been a fascinating chat. If I just bring it back to the the phytoplankton for a moment again, we don't have to eat fish. We don't have to eat fish oil. And actually, one thing we didn't even touch on was fish oil. And I, there was a crazy stat that you threw at me last night, I think it was. What proportion of fish is used for f just to produce the oil? Is something crazy? So this is of the wild catch. Yeah. Yeah, 20%. So 20%. 20%. Again, this is exactly the same oil structure. But, right. you know, so so when you produce fish oil, this is the process. It You know, you're basically not very nice visually to think Give about. It to but us. Give it to they us. basically press the fish, catch it or press it, and they get oil and you're left with fish meal and fish oil. Oh. Now, to basically clean the fish oil enough for human consumption, you have to go through this three-step process of purification because you have to remove heavy metals, mercury, out of oil component before you can put it into a supplement or nutraceutical. What happens is that amount of refining leads to oxidization. So again, these are type of these are processes that basically make the quality of fish oil second rate mm. compared to algae oil. So think about this, doing all this three-step refining to purify the fish oil so it's safe enough to eat, leading to some forms of, I would say, mild oxidization. I think the figure was uh, average fish oil supplements taken off the shelf by Choice Magazine. Nine out of 10 fish oil supplements had mild levels of oxidization, like about four to 5%. And one of them was leading to almost rancicity. Now let's park that for a second. So when you take phytoplankton, there's nothing to clean because you started, you grew the phytoplankton. I'm talking about now the phytoplankton that we grow for supplements. So we grow it in a controlled environment. So there's nothing to refine out yeah. of it. There's no, there's no DDT chemicals, pesticides to clean, mercury to clean. So therefore there's no refining and therefore we have no oxidization. So not only is phytoplankton and the algal oil from phytoplankton more sustainable and ethical, it's much cleaner. And it's much less oxidized because it doesn't have to go through all these processes. So you just keep look, thinking at it. You look at it from all angles and you say, it just makes sense. Speaking of it, a I'm a guy that used to operate a wastewater treatment plant and obviously I do stormwater treatment. I'm just trying to think, how do you remove heavy metals and pesticides from this fish oil? Like I'm, I'm guessing it's a fairly elaborate process. It is. So the, uh, I got to know that initially when I went into the phytoplankton business, one of these biotech companies I invested in, one of the investors was actually a company in the Netherlands that actually did this. So they were like, this is not sustainable. Look at what we're doing. You know, look at the, you know, the amount of refining that has to go on. And they were one of the companies that said, we have to do this better. We have to actually mm. grow algae. So I, really? I, I was type of learning firsthand because the company that was doing it said, this can't go on forever. You know, that we have to, to just get a clean source. 
Well, that that can't go on forever, and and certainly I'm I'm hoping the fish industry in general can. Uh, fundamentally, it can't go on forever because we are noticing. Well, sorry, it's it's you know mentioned the the FIFO from the U, UN, and, and and there's been a whole bunch of studies around the predictions around fish stocks collapsing, and and if they're not collapsing, they're certainly hitting their sustainable limit or becoming certainly overfished. Um, so, but fundamentally, population keeps growing. This idea that we can just keep on raping and pillaging the uh, oceans for fish and seafood. It's clearly not sustainable. We haven't even talked about bycatch, the fact that the, well, something like 450,000 seals, dolphins, whales, um, et cetera, are killed in bycatch. Completely unsustainable. I think bycatch rates are typically about 40%. Some of the prawn industries, it's like 99% bycatch, which is just diabolically crazy. Just to get a product which we need heavily refinement, a whole bunch of cruelty, a whole bunch of energy, a whole bunch of pollution. The alternative is just getting something from the source. Where ultimately fish get their good stuff from phytoplankton. It seems like a no-brainer. Like I, I make this point a, a lot in these chats. There's all these environmental issues facing uh, humanity and the planet, but for me, there's just low-hanging fruit. There's easy wins, and one of them clearly, for my mind, is to shift our traditional uh, dietary patterns towards a more plant-rich diet. And yeah, if we need omega-3s, which we do, there are very good, very high-quality plant-based alternatives such as phytoplankton. And it seems like for me, phytoplankton has a whole bunch of other benefits to our planet in addition to being a substitute for something that horrendously diabolical. Absolutely. I mean, and there's a feel-good ending to all this. I mean, there's a clear solution. Our health and well-being is not going to suffer when we stop eating fish. It's actually probably going to get better if we know how to replace it. So we can feel better. We can live better. We can enjoy pristine environments, cleaner oceans. Part of the education is to be transparent and educate on maybe the darker side or Mm. the negative side around aquaculture and, Mm. and the industry. At least we can be positive as humans and people and say, hey, we can actually contribute to a positive outcome. We can be the solution. We're empowered to be part of the solution by our choices. This is the beauty that, hey, it's not great where it is, but we all have a role to play. But it's also a pretty easy role. I put a little bit of your green powder, my Vitality powder in in a green smoothie in the morning, and that's it. I don't think about it for the rest of the day, basically. It could not be simpler. And my smoothies are the best in the world. (laughs) So again, it's a feel-good thing, but it's so easy and convenient. Anyone can do it, including me. And like you talk about, oh, we're not going to see a deterioration in health. When I went plant-based, my athletic performance increased through the roof. I went from a, a sort of a middle of the pack or athlete to basically winning everything, including two national titles in triathlon, did Ultraman, which is a crazy distance thing. That's certainly not, not good for your health. But fundamentally, the benefit that I saw from going from a, a traditional diet to a whole food plant-based diet with a little bit of supplementation from some green powders, it's chalk and cheese. I feel amazing. So I'm not turning around anytime soon. So I can't complain. Mark, this has been a really fascinating chat. It's been uh, great to reconnect you, uh, with you again. If people want to get in touch or if they want to get by some of your amazing Vitality stuff, here's your opportunity to give a, fam- a shameless plug. There's no harm in it. But if people want to get in contact with you, maybe give, give this plant-based powder a, a go. How do they do it? You can find us online, vitality.com.au. That's P-H-Y-T 
A-L-I-T-Y dot com dot A-U. And I guess Vitality for us is a play on phytoplankton mm-hmm. bringing you vitality. You can get it online. We have a range of products from the whole plant, phytoplankton, rich in EPA, DHA, range of vitamins and micronutrients as a whole food, that beautiful green powder that you mentioned, Brad. Then we also have a range called Clean Omega-3, which is a water extracted DHA oil. It's a nice clear oil that doesn't smell fishy. So, you know, a lot of vegetarians and, and people even that do f- have mm. fish, they, they say, oh, I don't want something that smells and tastes fishy. So we've actually got a very organic process to refine the oil, remove the saturated fatty acids. So it's this, you know, nice, odorless and tasteless algal oil. So uh, you can find that online as well. And we're also in a lot of health food stores Mm. around Australia. So uh, yeah, pop into your health food store and ask for it or go to fitality.com.au. And yeah, we'll include that as a link in the show notes. But uh, Mark, thanks again for your time today. It's been wonderful uh, chatting to you. And all I can say, keep up the great work. And I look forward to seeing your enterprise take over the world. Thank you, Brad. It's, it's been a pleasure. And, 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 and thanks to Ocean Protecting You for having me on. I love the work you guys are doing out there and love to chat more in the future again sometime. Sounds good to me. Boom, boom, shake the room. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.